Hey guys, my name is Alex, and you're listening to the Thousand Movie Project Podcast. Listening more specifically to the resuscitation of a fun little side project I did last year in the month of October, which is a mini-series that I like to call Epuki Conversation. For Epuki Conversation this year, I am just like in the evenings, I take my tablet to the South Beach yard house and I sit at the bar at the tail end of happy hour I drink two blue moons I write my two and a half or three pages and then I come home I've been doing it almost daily throughout October I'm gonna give myself the benefit of the doubt because I do come home very tired from my fucking kitchen job but I'm recording this on October 11th and I think I've racked up like eight or seven, maybe, blog posts on thousandmovieproject.com. And yeah, just this month's, like, Epoque Conversation episodes is going to be me reading those blog posts, which are proving to be a really huge delight, because for the past, like, three months, I've been, like, really, really, really immersed in this new book that I'm writing, which is kind of a sequel to Cuba Fruit, kind of a standalone thing. But I just, this morning, put the period down on the end, what is pretty much the end of the first draft. So I still have to type up like three different notebooks and then I'm gonna print the whole thing out and I'm gonna let it sit on a shelf for maybe a month and I'm just gonna read a bunch of other shit, shit that pertains to that book so that I can come go back to it and start editing it with a more informed sensibility of, of the subject matter I'm trying to tackle. But also, the thing about like going to the bar and typing up these blog posts is that I'm not, so, like yesterday, I stayed around and I had a third. And the reason I can stick around and have a third, or dare I say a fourth, haven't done it yet, is because this week my girlfriend is out of town. She is visiting relatives in Puerto Rico, and so I am here by myself at the apartment. I am in the middle of a three-day weekend, and the, the apartment is empty except for her dog. Incidentally, let me say, it's her apartment. I, she and I share this space, but she was here first. She still pays most of the rent. It's her apartment. I'm only staying in here, and I'm only taking care, temporarily, of her dog. Her dog is a 60-pound, I think, Shih Tzu Pitbull. His name is Bruno. He is a delight. He is incredibly eccentric and somewhat needy. And some, what I've, what I've realized, the more and more I hang out with this dog, and I have mentioned it to her in the past, but I think the reason that she is fond of me is because I have so much in common with this dog. Like, he doesn't read or go to the gym. I don't go to the gym, but he does. So we, so we have that in common. But he is very neurotic. He eats more than he should. I think he has moderation issues. And then another thing that is really pronounced now that he and I are alone together in this in this studio apartment is uh, the, is night terrors. I've never talked about my night terrors on the podcast because I feel like nobody will ever believe me. Night terrors are like subject for like you can mine them easily for comedy, especially since Mike Birbiglia did like a fantastic routine about his own. Or no 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 sleepwalking. Mike Birbiglia has an amazing routine about sleepwalking. Go on YouTube and watch it. Anyways, I know that I talk in my sleep. And so several years ago, I downloaded an app on Android called 
Sleep with Android? Kind of a questionable title. I don't know who came up with that. I guess it's a good one. What would happen is you would, it required like a full battery. So you would activate this app and you would put it on the pillow beside your head. And then after a certain decibel level of noise was hit, the app would start recording whatever is going on in the room. And it would only record for the duration of that noise. So what ends up happening is like you think, oh, you think it's like sort of ghost files or something. And you wake up and you see you've got 30 recordings and one is two seconds long, another is seven seconds long, another is 13. And it seems very rewarding and you get a little rush and then you play them and it's like, here is a two second recording of me farting. There's recordings of the air conditioner turning on, recordings of you know when the, when the ceiling fan gets particularly rickety in its socket. But there were like five or six occasions where the app did successfully record my voice, my sleepy monologue. And the one that I remember most vividly, and it is the one that made me delete the app, because I realized, kind of like, I don't know what, if this is true, if this, if it's just a, as they call, a canard, but I heard that like, just some old story of white dude goes to some Native American settlement and presents them with uh, a mirror, because he noticed that they didn't have any mirrors, and then they had to tell him like, no, 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 we know what a mirror is, we just choose not to have them. And the white guy's like, why don't you have mirrors? What on earth could be more important than your own reflection? And whoever he was talking to from this particular tribe was like, we, you know, if, if, your, if your own eyes cannot turn back upon and appreciate your own face, then it was not meant for you. It was meant for other people to appreciate and identify you by and whatever. But you yourself should not be so caught up on it. That is kind of how I felt about this Sleep With Android app because it record, it, there was like a seven second recording of me in the depth of REM sleep. And the first five seconds are just of me like, like just heavy, heavy breathing. And then about four seconds into it, the breathing stops. There's complete stillness. And my dead sleeping self goes, tell me about it. And when I heard that, I was like, done with, done with this. My sleeping voice was not meant to be heard by mine ears. But it isn't just that I talk in my sleep. I also, maybe once every two weeks, I wake up screaming. And I was concerned, like the first few times my girlfriend spent the night, my girlfriend's name is Marie, by the way. First couple times Marie spent the night in my apartment and I woke up that way, screaming and like jostling. I was afraid she was gonna think I was doing it for attention, that it was all some stupid, like elaborate weirdo performance that I would wake up like clutching her and gasping. And fortunately she took it in stride, <laughs> even though the first couple times that I woke up screaming, she woke up screaming. <laughs> but but I always remember the dream and it's never something, it's all, the dream is almost always something completely mundane like I'm making a sandwich and then while making the sandwich my I knock over the hot sauce I see the hot sauce falling onto the floor wake up screaming so she is well acclimated to this by now but the, Bruno the dog also wakes up screaming or just in his doggy way he doesn't wake up from it mostly he, he keeps on doing it and I'll be at the desk here and I'm writing or I'm reading something and then I hear him snarling and growling in a really livid way. And this dog is a little bit frightening when he gets angry or scared. And he lashes out that way because again, he is Shih Tzu Pitbull, but he looks pretty much entirely Pitbull. Also, something I didn't realize until I Googled them, Shih Tzus are enormous. And they have that same kind of hulking muscularity of Pitbulls. 
Okay, so I'm here at like the end of the record of the editing process, and I fi finally burdened myself with a Google search. Uh, apparently, a Shih Tzu is a very tiny dog. I didn't realize that. What I meant was Sharpay, Pitbull, Sharpay. If it was a Pitbull Shih Tzu, the Shih Tzu would have died, and I don't think this dog would be born. So, sorry. So there is a certain headspace I get into sometimes where I look at this dog and he strikes me as basically a very neurotic, needy, affectionate, eccentric weapon. And when the weapon is disturbed by his dreams and I turn around and he's like snarling and he's super pissed at something in his head, I start like freaking out that I'm gonna do something that's gonna trigger him. He, he is a rescue dog and he's got some pretty heavy scars on his body, two of his teeth on his left side are broken. Obviously this dude's got trauma. Marie tells me that like when she first got him, anytime she picked up like cookware, like either a frying pan or, or any kind of pot, he would see it and cower. Also in her first few months of having him around, like she could not sweep the room, which might sound like a typical dog thing, but he was doing it in a very, in a distinct kind of please don't hit me with that again body language and he, he sleeps all the time but he goes to sleep and it's like he's stepping into a very scary space and like hey me too been there done that anyways because i am done with the first draft of this book i'm going to devote the last two weeks of october to basically a very assiduous kind of leisure reading and most of that leisure reading will be horror stuff. I'm going to reread the new novel by Cormac McCarthy before it comes out at the end of the month so that I can write a review of it for Open Letters Review. And because this sounds so dark, like, and I, George R. R. Martin, the author of the Game of Thrones series, he gets really pissed because, I don't know if you know this, but like, the show is over, but the, um, the books are ongoing. I think he's got two volumes to go. It has taken him over a decade to write the most recent one, and everyone says, like, dude, you need to hurry up because you're gonna die and you're not gonna finish it. And he gets really pissed. Like, granted, the thing they're pointing out is like, he doesn't appear to have a very healthy lifestyle. He is in his 70s, he's overweight, he smokes cigarettes, but he makes a good point. Like, don't speculate about my fucking health. Stop dangling the prospect of my own mortality over my head and telling me that like, oh, I can't go to the movies because I have to keep writing this book that you wanna read. I think his big qualm is the fact that people invoke his death in an angry way, like it's his fault that he's gonna be dying soon or something. I think it's a little bit different to observe that because Cormac McCarthy has a novel coming out this month that he has been working on for almost 50 years, and also the fact that he is 89 years old, it is probably going to be his last book. But anyways, because I, what I was saying is because The Passenger is probably McCarthy's last book, I decided this month, and I'm halfway through it, to read for the first time his debut novel, which I think came out in 1959. It's called The Orchard Keeper. And to my surprise, I was dreading it because like I thought it was going to be a bunch of John Updike talked about how, you know, The New Yorker used to always publish short stories about what a Sunday feels like, and I, th I thought that's, that it was going to be 200 pages of that, but it's not. It's like a crime story. He does spend a little too much time describing the fauna. Otherwise, it's a good, exciting time, and apart from that, I'm going to try to be mostly horror-centric. And I'm going to be talking about that horror-centric shit in episodes like this one and in blog posts like this one. Maybe it'll change now that I'm in a steady, committed relationship for the first time in a very long while, but 
I've never been hounded by relatives with questions about settling down, marrying, reproducing, but it seems on the other hand that every woman I've ever grown up and been chummy with has mentioned that it is the onus of every holiday get-together. I'm adding the word get-together because I don't like how that sentence played out. Grandmas especially seem to want to know who is on deck for partnership and what are their prospects, what are their plans. As a teenager, I would go to a, a woman friend's house and her mom would like put her elbows on the kitchen counter and ask me about myself with a smile that always seemed like an innuendo, like some kind of joke that I wasn't getting. And then later that night, over chili fries at Johnny Rockets or sandwiches at Swenson's, the friend in question would say, my mom wants us to get married. And sometimes they would even allow me a few seconds to feel flattered before following it up by saying, uh, my mom wants me to marry everyone. There is a newish horror movie in theaters called Barbarian, and it is fantastic. It touches on questions of parenting, motherhood. I don't want to give much away, except to say that it is a quick 90 minutes, and it's very gory, but also smart and incredibly suspenseful. It's more suspenseful than horrifying. The gore is used as a punctuation mark. It's supposed to cut the line of tension that's been pulling tighter and tighter. It is an assurance at the end of the first act that there is actually something at stake here, that these characters could get seriously hurt or die. In other words, it wants you to know that it is not M. Night Shyamalan's movie The Village, in which it turns out that the big monster lurking through the titular 18th century village is not a real monster. Also turns out that the 18th century village is not a real 18th century village, which is a long story. I've only seen The Village once, and that was at a Regal movie theater at the Falls when I was 13. And it reminds me that M. Night Shyamalan was the first contemporary filmmaker whose work I really liked, and, and I was also able to like keep track of it in real time. I could go to each movie as it was coming out because everything he made was PG-13. And it, like, it occurs to me now as I look back on it that, yeah, like most auteur filmmakers, I guess, just feel too constrained by PG, by not being able to say fuck a lot. But yeah, all of his movies were PG-13 until his movie The Happening, which was rated R, but also happened to come out when I turned 17. I saw it in theaters with my friend Harry. Harry was the first person I've ever known who, when we approached a theater marquee wanting to see two different movies, suggested to me that we see both, back to back. And then that became our routine. We pro probably once a month or twice a month, we would go to a double feature uh, of our own devising, and uh, The Happening was one of those was involved in one of those double features. I remember that he hated the movie, but that I was kind of on the fence about it. Harry also just hated horror movies in general, but like he, he always gave me these concessions. And I remember when I really wanted to see Rob Zombie's Halloween, he indulged me. He said, fine, I'll go see it, but you have to buy the popcorn. So I bought his popcorn. It was a large popcorn. I think it cost something like a thousand dollars. And 15 minutes into the movie, there was a jump scare and he like convulsed in his seat and flung the whole bag at the ceiling. Harry was absolutely brilliant. He's not dead, but he was really brilliant in high school. He's a dentist now, I think. And he, he, he went into, he went to a very good school, but I remember thinking, and he might've made comments to this effect, that he could have gotten into an Ivy League, but for the fact that we were all applying to college in 2008, the worst part, basically, of the Great Recession, and all these Ivy Leagues were cinching their belts, and they were very vocal about the fact that they were just not accepting as many freshmen as they had in previous years, and hence there was like a legit meltdown among two or three prospective Ivy Leaguers. There was one student in my graduating class who, who did somehow have a 4.2 GPA. She was perfectly normal, 
and actually, as we've gotten older, has excelled in her normalcy. Just a very well-adjusted, quirky, happy person who happens to be, like, brilliant. But yes, Barbarian is a very good movie, and it's the best... And it's best if you go into the theater without any idea of what happens, or that is the opinion of a very satisfied uh, podcast person who saw it under those circumstances. That guy's name is Alex. He's got a dog named Bruno. They don't uh, have. They don't sleep well. And so I strongly encourage you, if you're interested in that kind of thing, to check it out. And yeah, okay, so obviously I have to work on my delivery skills when it comes to reading these blog posts out loud, though I'm gonna feel, I'm gonna let myself feel free to digress from them. Anyways, I'm gonna wrap this up and get down to the business of editing this episode. Thanks for listening. Try to do what you can this month in order to remain a tremendo epuki. And I will talk to you next time. <laughs>